0: Well let's look at Romans eleven twenty-five 25 to 29. Would someone go ahead and just read those five verses there in, in full? Romans eleven twenty-five 25 to 29. You can read that for us.
1: For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the Gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But From the standpoint of God's choice, they are believed for the sake of the 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 Father. For the gifts and the calling of God,
0: are you okay, so you've got your handout in front of you, and you see the the first idea that we're going to tackle is that it is a humbling reality for Gentile Christians that God has a future for national Israel, or you could say ethnic Israel. I may use those terms interchangeably this morning, but uh, that's what I mean. And as we go through this, there are lots of terms to define. There are going to be lots of different terms that we're going to be defining as we walk through these verses today.
2: And uh, at any
0: point, if you have a question, just feel free to raise your hand and and I'll get to you. But uh, we're just going to dive in, starting with this word mystery. You see that in our text this morning in verse 25. We have the word mystery sitting there before us. And we would do well to define this word. Anybody have uh, an idea what the word mystery means as Paul uses it here? No. (laughs) He defines
1: it it in Ephesians three. That was was not known before, now being revealed.
0: All right. So um, yeah, we have this this idea. Stan and Jerry both mentioned the unknown. So we can say. That the first aspect when we define mystery is something previously unknown and now revealed. Because... When Paul says here or elsewhere that he's making known to somebody a mystery, what he's saying is this is no longer unknown, right? <laughs> he can't make known something to somebody that may, that is still unknown. He's revealing what it is. So that's one aspect. There is a second aspect, though, which is we, we see it in the Old Testament, but it's a future event that is settled, In the plan of God. The main place that you see this is in Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And over and over again in this dream. You guys remember the the dream of the statue. The man. With different materials. With the different sections of the man. And over and over again in Daniel 2. They refer to that dream as a mystery. Something mysterious. what was that all about? What was that dream all about? That vision that God gave him. You remember just roughly? You don't have to go into great detail. The history of national history to us. But to them it was the future. Yeah, there you go. It It was God saying, here's what's going to happen with these nations in the coming centuries. And so it was mysterious in the sense that it was a future event But, of course, in in God's plan and in God's mind, it's settled. There's nothing uncertain about the future to God, right? It's all settled for Him. And so when we talk about mystery, of course, it is something previously unknown, but it's now revealed. And there's also this element, at times, of a future event settled in the plan of God. And we see both of those going on here in Romans 11. When he says that, again, verse 25... I do not want you to be uninformed of this mystery. He's going to talk about a future event. He's going on to talk about something that's yet future, but of course settled in the plan of God. Something that's going to happen. And he's also talking about something that was previously unknown, but now revealed. So both of these elements are at play as Paul's discussing the mystery that he goes on to explain. And now we need to answer, what is the content of the mystery? If we can say, okay, that's what a mystery is. Well, what is this particular mystery that's being discussed in Romans eleven twenty-five? 25? And this, the content of the mystery has to do with order of events. Order of events and how God is going to bring about His purposes. And the first thing that we see, and again, just staying in verse 25, is that God has hardened His nation in part... For an amount of time that he has set. He has, in part, you see the word partial there in verse 25, hardened his nation, Israel, for an amount of time that he has set. Now let's define some terms that are in here. Uh, the verse says, again, I'll read it again I do not want you, to, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So it's important that we define fullness and Gentiles. If If we're trying to think of order of events, it's very important that we know what those two words mean, isn't it? Well, when we hear the word fullness, this implies a fixed amount that God has chosen from the world. There are Gentiles coming in to enjoy the covenant blessings of God. And those Gentiles have been so selected by God that he knows when the fullness is reached. Because He selected these Gentiles. This is election. This is going back to chapter 9. God has chosen a fixed amount of Gentiles to come in. And when we see that word Gentiles... We need to recognize that this is talking about people from outside of Israel. Really basic definition. What's a Gentile? Well, a non-Israelite. The word for Gentiles is the word ethnos, where we get our word ethnicity. It's people chosen from the nations, outside of the nation, singular, Israel. People from outside of that nation who God has chosen to come in and enjoy the covenant blessings through Christ. They are those not of the nation of Israel, but those outside of the nation of Israel. And it's important, too, that when we see that word Gentile, that we recognize that Gentiles, as a term, does not equal church. And I, I think most of you on paper would recognize that if there was a multiple choice a multiple choice question or something. What does Gentiles mean? And church is one of the options. I don't think he would select that. But mm-hmm. I do think oftentimes as we read through this, it becomes easy to just jump to when he says Gentiles, he's talking about the church. But that's not the case because who's the church made up of believers, believers. believers. Gentiles, Gentiles and, Jews. and Jews, right? We saw in this passage that there remains a remnant according to God's choice. So now it is true that the church is vast majority Gentile, isn't it? Just in our local church, right? (laughs) We are like 1.1% Jewish here. (laughs) Uh, Something like that. But by and large, (laughs) nothing to be ashamed of. And so... As we consider, you know, okay, who's the church made up of? We recognize vast, vast, vast majority is Gentile. But when he says Gentiles here, the fullness of the Gentiles, he's not saying uh, the church. He's saying actually non-Israelites. He's chosen people from the nations, non-Israelites, to come in and enjoy the covenant blessings of God in the church through Christ. And as we consider this hardening that is partial... A hardening, a partial hardening has happened to Israel, the text says. As we consider this hardening, it is partial both in number and in duration. Both in number and in duration. What do I mean by that? Well, in number, because not 100% of all Israelites are hardened right now, are they? There are some who are believers. There are some who have been chosen by God and have not been hardened by God, but instead have been united to God through Christ. So it's partial in the sense that not 100% of Israelites have been hardened. But it's also partial in duration. Because Paul here is telling us that there is coming a time when this hardening is going to be removed from the nation. This hardening will not last forever. This hardening that has fallen upon the vast majority of Israelites. It will not last forever. And Paul has been leading up to this throughout the chapter. Go back with me to verse 12. Romans 11. Verse 12. And let's just see some of the things that Paul has, has inserted into the text as we've been leading up to this moment. Romans eleven twelve, 12, Paul says, now if their, meaning national Israel, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Talking about going from a transgression and a failure toward a fulfillment. Verse 15, just a couple verses later, Verse 15, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Going from rejection to acceptance. Verse 16, very important verse. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. And we discussed how this is talking about the the first piece of dough and the root, the promises of God to the patriarchs, the covenants that God made, namely the Abrahamic covenant, these promises that God made extend to the whole nation. He doesn't just give them to the patriarchs and that's it, but they extend on to the whole nation that comes from Abraham. The promises to the patriarchs are promises to the nation. And then drop down to verse 23. It says, again, speaking of national Israel, "...and they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted in to their own tree?" How much more will they be grafted into their own tree? So he's using will language, future language. And some might look at these verses and say, well, this is just saying it's available to them. Paul's just saying they can be if they are chosen and believe. It's a possibility. And if we stopped at verse 24, perhaps we could all just agree. Well, that all Paul is saying is that it's a possibility that they would be joined back in. But now the argument is culminating in verse 25 where he says it's not just a possibility, but it is going to happen. This is a certainty. It all leads up to verses 25 and 26 where Paul says the partial hardening has happened to Israel until a certain time. Until when? Until the fullness of the Gentiles, these these people from outside the nation of Israel until they've come in. The fullness of them has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. And here we get this clenching certain statement. It's no longer an if, maybe, possibility. But this will happen. This is, this is just so certain. All Israel will be saved. Now, there are some who who look at verse 25 and where it says until I've been teaching it to you so far this morning as this word until means up until a certain time, Israel will be hardened. And then after that, the hardening will be taken away. And there are some who look at verse 25 and say, well, until doesn't necessarily mean that they will. These people teach, they will be hardened all the way until the time of Christ's coming, and that hardening is going to remain on them up to the moment of judgment. That there doesn't necessarily mean there will be a reversal there. Well, I I believe that in verse 25, Paul is saying that there will be a reversal of the hardening when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And there are two reasons why. One is because 37 times in the New Testament, this word formulation is featured with the word until as the crux where Paul or somebody else is writing and saying this is going to happen until this other time. And 27 of those 37 times, there's a reversal that happens after the until. X is going to happen until Y and then it will be non X. Israel will be hardened until this certain time and then they will no longer be hardened. That type of argumentation, 27 out of 37 times in the New Testament that the word until is used in this sense that's what we see. But I think bigger than that and more clearly than that is the very next verse <laughs> that says, finally, all Israel will be saved. So they will remain hardened up until the moment of the fullness of Gentiles coming in. And then once that has happened, they will no longer be hardened, but they will be saved. They will be saved. Okay? So... I've been going hard lecturing at you for 15 minutes. I should stop and see if there are any questions before I get into the next part. Mandy?
1: Is all, is that all of Israel that will be alive in that?
0: Yeah, so that's next. We're going to get to that in the next portion. Yep. Good. Tracking? Okay. Hope so. If you have questions, now's the time. Thank you. Renee? This is the Lord. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, um, so if Israel hadn't been hardened and rejected their Messiah, would we not get the chance to be part of the church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... To make them jealous? Right, yeah, so God's God's design in all of this was for Israel to reject their Messiah. When Israel did that, and we just have to be careful with the, with the way that we speak of this, because we never want to frame or couch history... As though it happened apart from the preordained plan of God. Nothing has happened outside of the foreordained plan of God. So that's important that we hold on to that as we talk about it. But yes, God has designed the church to exist because his nation rejected him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. You see see it with the uh, apostles in the book of Acts. Jesus tells them, you will have power come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And you follow through, and you see they go to the Jews, and they're rejected. And then they go to the Gentiles. And Paul says, my whole mission is to reach the Gentiles. And so, yes, we have the blessing because of their rejection. If their rejection means reconciliation for the world, then what will their fulfillment be? We have reconciliation because they rejected their Messiah. But that, that didn't happen apart from God's plan. It's not like, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, it's not like God sent his son into the world and said, okay, Israel's going to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And then he got there and they all said, no thanks. And he said, oh boy, (laughs) that did not go as planned. (laughs) And then he ruffled through his file cabinet and said, oh, Oh, here's a good backup plan, and then uh, we exist. We were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Right. Every Gentile was chosen who believes today in the church was chosen by God before the foundation of the world. So we, we hold those two tensions. We see, yes, because Israel rejected their Messiah, the covenant blessings have come to us in Christ. But that didn't happen apart from the plan of God. Good question. Jerry. Shouldn't we also be careful not to
1: say that God planned this, in the sense that, um, it, with the words that He gives us, we can't say that there wasn't a there wasn't a re, real possibility. That he didn't provide in his original design the capacity for us to succeed if we have not been sinful, because the purpose of believing Israel was to evangelize the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean that was that was what God set before His nation, and they failed. Mm -hmm. So then comes along Jesus, who is the perfect Israelite, who fulfilled the law, which they could never do, did everything perfectly, which they could never do. And now the blessing has come to us and we have perfection in him. Yes. Good. Okay, let's keep moving. Uh, Second aspect. And this really gets it, I think, to the heart of the mystery, the content of the mystery. All Israel will be saved after the fullness is reached. And it will be in this way. You notice at the beginning of verse 26, if you're using the New American Standard as I am, it just says, and so all Israel will be saved. But if you're using the NIV or the ESV, you'll notice it says in this way, all Israel will be saved. Okay, so this is the way that we're getting to this moment in history when all Israel will be saved. This sequence of events, I believe, is the content of the mystery and i have up here for you just a very elementary timeline old testament new testament right old testament who was god dealing with after starting in genesis 12 the nation of israel building his nation dealing with them as his people on the face of the earth after the cross who is he dealing with as far as who are his people and who have been who have been issued the uh, Who's been issued the message? Who's the ambassadors for God on the face of the earth? What's the multi-ethnic church? So super 100,000 foot view. We're in outer space looking down. (laughs) And we're saying, what's this real rough break? Well, you've got nation of Israel, Old Testament, multi-ethnic church, New Testament. And what Paul is saying here is there is a time where this will be fulfilled. The multi-ethnic church is going to come to a fulfillment. Okay? The fullness of the Gentiles is going to come in. And the emphasis isn't going to be so much on the multi-ethnic part because the focus will now be on all Israel. All Israel. They're going to come back in focus. And why is Israel going to come back in fo- focus? Well, we're going to learn when we get farther in the passage and when we fill this out. They're coming back into focus because of the promises that were made at their Genesis. The promises that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 15, etc., it goes on. Those promises are the basis for why he's going to focus on them again in the future. Okay, So that's real high-level view of what's going on. The sequence of events, I think, is the mystery that Paul's communicating to us. And again, if we go back and look at verse 24, just a couple of verses before, he gives us this idea. These who are the natural branches at the end of the verse, these who are the natural branches, they're going to be grafted into their own tree. He's talking about national Israel. All the way through this passage, continuing through verses 24, 25, 26, and And so on. The natural branches will be grafted back in. Paul is explaining to Gentiles what God is doing with this nation. Remember back earlier in the the chapter, uh, verse 13, Paul said, I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. (laughs) So he's telling the Gentiles in the church, and and we don't know the makeup of the church in Rome. Were they they 50% Gentiles and 50% Jewish? Well, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like they were very heavily Gentile. And it's likely, because of Paul's reasoning here, it's likely that the Gentiles were getting pretty arrogant against the Jews in the church. They were causing a division within the church, it seems, by boasting against the Jews. Or by teaching in such a way that said, there's no future for the Jews. And Paul's whole reasoning here, why he's giving us this in Romans 11, is so that the Gentiles would not do that. He doesn't want the Gentiles to be arrogant toward Israel. He says it very clearly in the passage. So he's telling the Gentiles, look, you are not the fulfillment. You are not the end of God's program. Mm -hmm. There is more to God's program, this part. Where once again in the future, he is going to focus on all Israel. In fact, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. Now, we have to define... The word Israel and the word all. <laughs> so let's do that in that order. Okay, when he says Israel, who's he talking about? Well, basically we have two options. As we've been following Paul's argument, Paul's explanation, he's been talking about national Israel in verses 24, 25, and now 26. But some people ask the question, well, is he talking about the whole nation of Israel or is he talking about just spiritual Israel? Just those who are the remnant. Is he saying all the remnant will be saved? Or is he saying all of the nation will be saved? Which one is it? Well, I believe he's talking about the nation itself. That he's talking about the nation. It would be extremely difficult for me as a Bible teacher to imagine that Paul just switches the definition of Israel from verse 25 to 26. Because it's very clear, of course, in verse 25, he's talking about all of national Israel, isn't he? A partial hardening has happened to white Israel. Well, it's all of national Israel. And so when he uses Israel again in verse 26, we would have to say that he's switching the definition. And I don't see that being the case. It would also be redundant to say he's only talking about the remnant of Israel. Well, of course the remnant of Israel is going to be saved. I mean, no, he, no one needs to be told that. That's what makes them a remnant is that they're going to be saved. And so he would basically be saying, all of those who are going to be saved in Israel will be saved. Well, I think everyone knew that. He's saying something bigger is going to happen. God has this bigger plan for them. Joe. Are we talking about the nation of Israel now, or
2: are we talking about
0: the Jews all over the world? Yeah, so this, it's very difficult to know, um, to define that, okay I, I do like saying ethnic Israel because I think it has a lot more to do with the physical descendants of Abraham like if that's how I would define ethnic Israel and Israel has gone through so much in the last 2,000 years haven't they there have been times where they seemed like they were non-existent and then back they are and which is a very interesting uh, a very interesting piece of evidence to consider about what God's doing with them there's a, a commentator I read. His name is James Stifler, and he says they've been strangely preserved. I like that phrase, strangely preserved, because they're so small <laughs> and seemingly incapable. But as far as okay, what's what's he talking about? Uh, as far as it, the people who live within certain borders, or people scattered all over the world. And if it's people scattered all over the world, are we talking how far out do those branches go? People who are half Jewish, quarter Jewish, sixteenth, I'm mean, not how it goes. God knows. God knows. Jerry. There there are
1: just so many comments throughout the prophets that he's going to bring them from all the nations. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. That's right. And so, I mean, that goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. And Moses wrote about this in Deuteronomy. He said, you're going to be, God's going to gather you from all over the world. You're going to be saved. Now, does that happen before they're saved? Do they get saved and then they're gathered? Timelines can get messy. But the, but the basic promise is there. Because God made that promise to Abraham and to his descendants. That's important. God's going to make good on that promise. Okay. Roy. Since there's a fullness of the Gentiles, a
1: finite number of the Jewish nation also, when it says... Is
0: there a finite number of them all? Well that is the next thing. We have to define what all means, right? Yeah. It says all Israel, so what does all mean? If we say Israel means all of Abraham's descendants, and God knows who they are, well then how many is how many is all? Well this can be really difficult to understand because if you know your old testament prophets, in Ezekiel chapter 20 and in other places, but Ezekiel twenty, God says that before he brings his nation back into the land, he's going to purge them. He's going to purge the people. That means people are going to die. Because he's going to be there dealing with them. And they'll be purged. Then if you go to Zechariah, and you write this down, Zechariah 12 to 14. You need to know Zechariah 12 to 14, okay? But if you go to Zechariah 13, he actually gives us fractions. He says, two-thirds of Israel will be cut off. Two-thirds. And one-third, the one-third that remains, the prophet says, God is going to bring them through the fire, refining them as silver, and on the other side of the fire, they're going to confess Him as God. Okay? So when we say, all Israel... When you consider the two-thirds being cut off, well, the the all can't apply to those two-thirds, can't, because they're going to be cut off. And so what, what do we make of this when we consider that God's going to do this purging? Well, some people, actually I'd say the vast, vast, vast majority of commentators who take the view that we're talking about national ethnic Israel, they say, well, all Israel doesn't mean every single Israelite. And a lot of them don't give their reasoning. They just say, it doesn't mean every, every single Israelite. It's basically like saying, uh, all, the, all the schools showed out for the football game. Or the whole nation was upset at the news.
2: Right.
0: Where it's just like a general sweeping term. And, and I think what they mean by that is basically, you're going to have the vast majority of leaders, the vast majority of the people are going to be converted, and that's sufficiently all. I don't know how I feel about that. Reasoning. I don't see the need to, to make all less than all, <laughs> just based on math. <laughs> um, but I do see the need to make all less than all in the sense that some Israelites are going to be purged. And I think the way that we can consider this when we think of all Israel will be saved is that after God purges Israel, the only Israelites that are left are going to be saved Israelites. No, it will be the all That's it. And that's all of them. Because <laughs> the other ones are dead. The other ones are purged. The other ones are gone. So after God purges Israel, the only Israelites left are saved Israelites. That's how I'm kind of synthesizing these Old Testament passages about what's going to happen to Israel at the end. And what Paul says here. Walker and then Renee. About uh, New Testament passages that talks
2: about like, Israelites and stuff like Revelation. Saving
0: yeah. Uh, yep. So then you get into Revelation and you've got the 144,000, 12,000 from the 12 tribes. Uh, the the tribes that are featured there, that's an interesting list of tribes too because, uh, but that's a whole side tangent. But yes, you have the 144,000 there, you have the two witnesses, what's going on there. And so you, you get into Revelation and you get even more detail about what that, that could look like. But as far as getting a, a strong number of how many need would equate to that all Israel. We don't know the the final number on that, but there will be a sweeping conversion through ethnic Israel. There will be a sweeping conversion through national Israel. Okay, and the only Israelites left after God's purging are saved Israelites. Renee, that is the same question I was oh, going to ask. How related to the 144,000? There are um, there are some really good commentaries out there that are. Very wordy when it comes to explaining that sort of stuff. Because Revelation, of course, is a little complicated. Um, but we're given a promise that we're blessed if we study it, aren't we? And so that shouldn't scare us. God's blessing awaits. So we need to read it and study it and, and synthesize it with all these other passages. Okay. Dean? This also makes me think of the Ezekiel passage about the dry bones and breathing life back in the womb. And yes. Bringing them back from the dead.
1: Studying the hall made me think, rethink the hall part of the and made me think of that passage as
0: well. Yeah. Yep. There are, there are dead men who are going to be brought to life and he started with us because we were once dead
2: right.
0: and God breathed spiritual life into us, didn't he? Okay. Um, and it's an important to bear in mind too here that Paul, of course, didn't know the timing of all this. I think that adds an interesting layer, nothing that's groundbreaking or earth shattering I guess those two phrases mean the same thing but uh, Paul did not know the, the timing of all these things he wasn't told in 2,000 years in 3,000 years in 5,000 years this is going to happen and when we look at how the apostles lived and, and what they wrote I think the apostles thought all, all this was going to happen pretty quick because no one knows the day or the hour right and so Paul writing this he likely could have thought this is going to happen soon and so uh, there's an urgency that he's communicating to the Gentiles for the sake of harmony in the church, that they understand this mystery, the sequence of events in God's program, at least this general level. Okay? Now, he gives, of course, as a basis for all of this, an Old Testament foundation. So as we continue in our interpretation of all Israel and understanding what God is going to do with this people, we need to look at what... Paul is basing his reasoning on, which is the Hebrew Scriptures. So I need three volunteers to read. The first one is for Isaiah 27. Who can grab Isaiah 27 for us? Joseph, that'll be verses 6 to 13. Isaiah 27, 6 to 13. Isaiah 59, who's got Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21? Uh, Rex, Isaiah 59, 20 and 21. And then the third one is Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. Jerry, Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34. So, Paul, what he has done, and I'll read to you from Romans 26 and 27. Paul writes, As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There is not one single passage of the Old Testament that puts those words together just like that. Paul is pulling from three different locations. And he's giving them a general statement of what is written in the Old Testament uh, by taking specific quotes and putting them together. And he's pulling from these three passages that we're about to look at. And uh, he quotes Isaiah 59 that Rex will read first, but let's just read them in order, starting with Isaiah 27. And if you're able, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 27. And I want you to, to see what God communicates to his people that his program is for them. Again, at a really basic level. We're not getting into all the details of what we know about the end times. We're just looking at a really basic overview of what God is going to do with the nation of Israel. So Isaiah 27, verses 6 to 13. Joseph, go ahead.
2: In the days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bloom and sprout, and
0: they will fill the whole world with fruit. Okay, let's just pause right there. Look at verse 6. God is talking about his nation of Israel. They will take root. They will blossom and sprout. They will fill the whole world with fruit. This multitude of people, they, are going to fill the whole world with fruit. That's coming in the days to come. Has that happened yet? It's still the days to come. Okay, verses 7 to 13.
2: Like the striking of him who has struck them, has he struck them? Or like the slaughter of his slain, have they been slain? You contended with them by banishing them, by driving them away. With his fierce wind he has expelled them on the day of the east wind. Therefore through this Jacob's iniquity will be forgiven. And this will be the full price of the pardon of his sin. When he makes all the altar stones like pulverized chalk stones, when ashram and incense altars will not stand. For the fortified city is isolated, a homestead, forlorn and forsaken like the desert. There the calf will graze, and there it will lie down and feed on its branches. When its limbs are dry, they are broken off. Women come and make a fire with them, for they are not a people of discernment. Therefore their Maker will not have compassion on them, and their Creator will not be gracious to them. In that day the Lord will start his threshing from the flowing stream of the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt. And you will be gathered up one by one, O sons of Israel. It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown. And those who were perishing in the land of Assyria and who were scattered in the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem.
0: Okay. So here we go. Um, they were scattered in the land of Egypt. And they're going to come back and they're going to worship the Lord on the mountain at Jerusalem. Um, Verse 9 is important. Verse 9 is where we see the the portion that Paul quotes in Romans that he's going to forgive Jacob's iniquity. Jacob is another word for Israel. Mm -hmm. Through this, Jacob's iniquity will be forgiven. And so if we were going to write out just... Again, we're going to keep it real, real basic. Extremely basic. What is going to happen to Israel? You could say that they are going to endure judgment leading to what? Total restoration. Restoration. You could say salvation. You could say redemption. But it is a total restoration. We see that in this passage, don't we? They're going to be confronted in their sin. They're going to be dealt with in their sin. But then there's coming a restoration for the people of Israel. That's the promise. That's the prophecy. Okay, now let's go to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, this is another section that Paul quotes. And Paul quotes this passage most extensively of the three we're looking at. But Rex, if you want to go ahead and read Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares
1: the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this
0: time on and forever, declares the Lord. The words that have been put in the mouth of Isaiah won't depart from him or from his offspring or from his offspring's offspring all the way to Paul who's quoting a Jew, a converted Jew, Paul. Going back and referencing this passage and this promise that the Redeemer is going to come to Zion and those who turn from transgression in Israel. Again, Jacob's mentioned there. This is talking about ethnic Israel. Those who are from Jacob. That's why the term Jacob is used. And look at verse 21. Paul quotes this part in Romans 11. God says this is what? My covenant. covenant. What covenant is God talking about in Isaiah? Abraham. So this is before we, we get the explicit promises of the new covenant in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. We have here in Isaiah, God referring back to a covenant. And we can, of course, understand he made a covenant with Abraham. Was that conditional or unconditional? Uh, unconditional. <laughs> Meaning? He was going to do it. Regardless to Abraham. Abraham. Man doesn't have to keep up his end of the deal. There is no end of the deal for man to keep up. God has said it and he will do it. Unconditional covenant made to Abraham. He could also have in view the Davidic covenant... Do you guys remember the content of the Davidic covenant? Abraham is land, seed, and blessing. We've been talking about that. There are also three aspects we can find in the Davidic covenant. God says, I will make you a house. I will make you a kingdom. And you will never lack an heir to sit on the throne. And here he says, there's a redeemer coming. Of course, from the line of David, the Davidic king. And this is my covenant with them. Both of those covenants are unconditional. There was nothing Israel had to do to keep up their end of the deal for this to come to fruition. God has, says, has said, this is what's going to happen. I am going to do it. From Doug Moo's commentary, he said, speaking of the Abrahamic covenant, this covenant has, of course, had an initial and definitive fulfillment in the first coming of Christ, But in a pattern typical to the New Testament, Paul suggests that this covenant with Abraham still awaits its final consummation. A consummation that will affect Israel in particular. And that's what Paul is is writing about in Romans 11. Why is Paul bringing up this passage of God saying, I have a covenant with Israel? That's because there's still a future fulfillment. It hasn't been all the way fulfilled. Doug Moo, he's he's a Lutheran. He's one of the good kinds, though. He he writes that the Abrahamic covenant has had an initial and definitive fulfillment in the first coming of Christ. Well, because, as he goes on to write, that I agree with, that there's still a final consummation. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable saying there's been a definitive fulfillment. But we do see that there's an already aspect to the Abrahamic covenant where Christ has come. The seed of Abraham has come. And his blessings have begun to be poured out poured out poured out poured out on the Gentiles on the church here we are as a multi-ethnic church we're enjoying some of these covenant blessings that were promised to Abraham and his descendants aren't we we're enjoying some of those but God's got a covenant with the nation of Israel that has yet to be fully fulfilled yet to be fully consummated and that's what Paul's telling these Gentiles in Rome don't, don't boast against them because God has made a covenant and there's more coming. Okay, and then Jeremiah 31 verses 33 and 34.
1: Jerry. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not be Teach again, each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more.
0: So Paul says, this is my covenant with them, quoting God in the Old Testament, when I take away their sins. Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34. So as God has made these covenants, Abrahamic, Davidic, new covenants, they've been made with his nation, Israel. They are all unconditional and they have all yet to be totally fulfilled. That's Paul's point in Romans 11. There's more coming for this nation. He's telling the Gentiles, you're not it. <laughs> are you beloved by God? Yes. Are you children of God? Yes. Are you reconciled to God? Yes. Are you cherished by God because you were in Christ? Yes. But are you the end of God's program? No. No. Okay? And I'm running short on time, so i got to go quickly. Uh, I will try to go quickly and leave at least a couple minutes at the end for questions, okay? Now, this section in your handout, the when, how, what does this mean for us, let's tackle that, that section. When is this all going to happen with Israel? Well, this is at the end of the age, after the fulfillment of the Gentiles has come in. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Jesus used similar language in Luke 21. He wasn't talking about the fullness of the Gentiles as Paul was talking about here, but he talks about the times of the Gentiles, that there are times of the Gentiles when they're ransacking Jerusalem, and there will be an end to those days And Jerusalem uh, will be relieved from those attacks. But it will be sometime yet future at the end of our present age when Israel will be uh, restored as a nation. And I should mention too that after next week's lesson, Tyler mentioned this recently, after next week's lesson, as we finish off chapter 11... We are going to spend some time talking about eschatology because that fits in with this, doesn't it? Our theology of the end. Um, Also, if you remember, this class, uh, the Romans class got bigger when the systematic theology class joined you. And they had to come join you right before they got to eschatology right before they got to the end. And so uh, we're going to pick back up for their sakes and for the sake of it ties with this passage and discuss eschatology. But this is going to happen at the end. How is it going to happen? How is Israel going to be saved? This is really important that you get this. Through faith in Christ, there is no second way. (laughs) There is no other way that Israel will be redeemed. They will confess Jesus as their Messiah and they will trust in His righteousness alone. Mm. That is what's going to happen to those Israelites. There's no alternative route for Israel. If if you've been reading along in Romans up until this point, Mm. does Paul envision any other way but Christ? (laughs) No. They will be saved through Christ. And now, what bearing does this have on us? What does this mean for us today? Well, I want us to go back and look at the beginning of verse 25, where Paul says that he does not want these brothers to be uninformed. What does this mean for us today? We don't have to be ignorant about the future. Now, of course, there are all kinds of details that we will certainly be ignorant of. But as far as what God is doing, broad brush, we don't have to be ignorant. We don't have to be agnostic about the future. But we have knowledge provided to us by God for us to be informed, don't we? With information from God. And we can look back, as Paul did here, we can look back to what God has said in the Old Testament as the foundation for the future. We can go back, because Paul here is going to Isaiah and Jeremiah hundreds of years, written hundreds of years before Paul was writing. He's going back to these ancient Hebrew scriptures and using them as a basis For what he believes is going to happen in the future. You can do the same thing. You can too. You can study the Old Testament as your basis for your eschatology. And thirdly, of course, Paul's point, his main point, we must not be arrogant toward Israel. What has been given to us is returning to them in the future. What has been given to the multi-ethnic church will happen to ethnic national Israel. And so we have no basis, no room for boasting or being arrogant toward God's nation. We need to be thankful and humble that he has chosen from other nations to draw in a people, to redeem a people who can enjoy these covenant blessings to make Israel jealous. Okay? Now, as we get to verses 28 to 32, see them there in front of you? 28 to 32, this is really the climax of chapters 9 through 11. Paul here has reached the pinnacle of his argument. And we're going to begin this section today, but finish the chapter next week. Well, let's read verses 28 and 29 again, and then I'll uh, try to wrap up my notes in eight minutes. So, uh, someone want to read verses 28 and 29 for us? From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice... They are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. All right, so God will not compromise his faithfulness in keeping promises to national Israel. First thing we need to answer is, who is they, or who are they, or who be they? Well, they is, you got to go back to his antecedent. You could go back to 27, 26, 25. Who has Paul been talking about all the way through this passage, all the way through this chapter? Ethnic, Ethnic, national Israel. They. That's who the they be. (laughs) General Israel. Ethnic Israel. This must mean national Israel. And he goes on to say in verse 28 this amazing thing. They are simultaneously enemies and beloved. At the same time, they are reckoned as enemies and as beloved. And that is just an amazing concept. So I've given you this chart that just spells out what we have in verse 28. Uh, There are different translations. If you don't have the New American Standard, some of this will be worded a bit different. But from the standpoint of the gospel, what does Paul say they are? Enemies. Enemies. And for whose sake are they enemies? And who is ours in the context of this letter? Who's Paul speaking to specifically? Gentiles. For the sake of, we could say, believing Gentiles, right? Or Gentile Christians. From the standpoint of the gospel, national Israel, they're enemies <laughs> for the sake of believing Gentiles. They don't like that we are enjoying their covenant blessings, Paul said. But from the standpoint of, what's the next thing? God's choice. They are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Or you could say the patriarchs, okay? The fathers of the patriarchs. Now let's consider this for a couple of minutes. They are enemies of the gospel. How are they enemies of the gospel? Well, what has Paul been saying? If you go back to the end of chapter 9, into the beginning of chapter 10, they reject the righteousness of Christ because they seek to establish what? Their own own righteousness. If you seek to establish your own righteousness, are you a friend or an enemy of the gospel? Enemy. Enemy. That's why we have to go out and evangelize Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. That's why we have to go out and evangelize uh, atheists and anybody else who rejects biblical Christianity because every other system in the world says establish your own righteousness. That makes them enemies of the gospel. But from the standpoint of God's election they are beloved. God's choice is the phrase used in the New American Standard here. Meaning that their salvation, their restoration, it is certain because it is in hidden in the timeless God. Where does Israel have their future salvation? Rooted in the timeless God who who chose before the foundation of the world, who has no future. He's timeless. There's no question about it. it. Israel will be saved. And that makes them, at the same time that they are enemies, they are beloved. This is a term of endearment. Israel, the nation of Israel, is dear to the heart of God. This term, beloved, if you look at it in the New Testament, do you know where you see this word come up? The Father, God the Father, calls God the Son, His beloved. You see it in the church. Paul will often talk about fellow believers as beloved. And family relationships, an earthly father calls his earthly children his beloved. We see the elect of God. Those who have been chosen to be saved, who will be saved in the future. They are beloved of God. And those are the only contexts you see it in, besides this passage. Because the nation of Israel, too, is beloved of God because of his choice. And if the nation is beloved by God, you think God's going to do something with them? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah. He will. He will. He will. They're below. And it's for the sake of the fathers. Again, go back and look at verse 16. Romans eleven sixteen, 16. Talking about the first piece of dough. Talking about the root. We're talking about the covenant promises that God made to Abraham and his offspring. The promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The the covenants of God that are Unconditional. These were made to the fathers, these promises. And because, as the root, these promises have been made, extending now to the branches, extending now even to the whole nation of Israel, all the descendants, all the physical descendants of Abraham, that makes them beloved too, because they're attached, in a sense, to the root. They're physical descendants. That is why one day God is going to actually take those branches that were broken off and put them back in their rightful place because they're natural branches. They're natural. They become unattached, and God's going to reattach them. They are elect as a nation, and God's choice will prove binding on that last generation, won't it? They're they're elect as a nation, and come that last generation, all Israel will be saved after God does his purging. So if we were to answer, why is God going to save all Israel? Well, first, he chose to do so. He chose to do so. He promised. And God is always faithful in his promises, isn't he? He chose to do so. He promised he will do it. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, it says. If you want to know what those gifts and callings are, you can write down as a cross reference. Romans 9, so just a couple chapters ago, verses 4 to 6. Romans 9 verses 4 to 6 where Paul says of national Israel to them belong the adoption as sons the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises theirs are the fathers for the sake of the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all and God blessed forever his gifts and calling will never be revoked. And some might say, well, what about that Matthew 21 parable we've been talking a lot about lately? The, the people that came in to steward the, the vineyard and the man sent his servants and they beat up his servants and they sent his son and they killed his son. And he said, I'm going to take this from you and give it to a, another people. Well, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm taking the kingdom from Israel, and giving it to another people. Well, what about that? Well, that's true. That's happened. But there's going to be a time when it will be restored back. To his natural nation, his natural children. There's going to be a time in God's program where all Israel takes center stage once again. The multi ethnic church is now center stage. There's a mission to the Gentiles now. And in the future, it will be all Israel. Quick wrap up thoughts or questions. Sorry, my timing was off there. Good enough. Hey, thank you for showing up and listening to me ramble on. Hopefully some of it made sense. <laughs> and today we're going to go into the, uh, the main service and we're going to uh, look at the resurrection of Christ and why that's critical. Three, three books I want to recommend to you if you're interested in further reading. If you want a book that is academic-ish, Um, And it's going to give you multiple views where uh, there are three different views on Romans 9 through 11. They each state their view, and the two other guys get to reply to the one guy each time. It's helpful to look at that. There's this book called Three Views on Israel and the Church. It's perspectives on Romans 9 through 11. So this would be helpful for you if you wanted to do a deep dive. Three Views on Israel and the Church. That's helpful. If you want a book that just talks about what you already believe, what we teach at this church, how I just taught, you can get The Church in God's Program by Robert Saucy. It's a good book. And Has the Church Replaced Israel by Michael Vlock. Okay? Both of these are good books. The Church in God's Program by Saucy. What a name. Robert Saucy. And Has the Church Replaced Israel by Michael Vlock. And I'll leave these up here, and you can come check them out afterwards if you'd like. But I should pray, and then we'll get on to the next thing. Father, again, we thank you so much for providing your word, providing this time that we have together. Please give us a sweet time of fellowship uh, as we continue to learn from you, to sing to you, to encourage one another, and to uh, build one another up in our most holy faith. In Jesus' name, amen.